This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. When Joe Biden announced last week that he was running for re-election, nobody was surprised. But his announcement video did make clear what his central campaign theme would be. His opening words were, quote, freedom, personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans, close quote. First, that may sound like a cliche, but in fact, the Republicans have made the concept of freedom the center of their politics for a long time now. For that story, we turn to Eric Foner. Of course, he taught history at Columbia for a long time. His work on Reconstruction and the Civil War won the Pulitzer Prize, the Bancroft Prize, and the Lincoln Prize. He's also written for the New York Times op-ed page, the TLS, the LRB, and The Nation, where he's a member of the editorial board. And he's the author of the book, The Story of American Freedom. We reached him today at home in Manhattan. Eric, welcome back. Nice to be here, John. When Ron DeSantis delivered his State of the State address last year, he declared that Florida was the nation's freest state. He used the word freedom more than half a dozen times. And Trump called his campaign tour last year the American Freedom Tour. So we are hoping you can tell us who is right about freedom, Republicans or Democrats? What is the real meaning of freedom in America? Freedom is uh, the pretty, pretty much the central idea of American political culture, political language. The thing to understand about it, uh, even, even though many people think there's just one notion of freedom and they happen to have it, but uh, <laughs> there are no other ones worth considering. But freedom is always a contested idea. There are always multiple definitions of freedom uh, in the political atmosphere. And these things change over time. And in fact, the experience and the definition of freedom grows with the struggle of people who feel that they are being denied freedom to uh, enjoy it as they uh, as they see fit. So um, nobody is right and nobody is wrong in this debate. Uh, that is to say that there are all, there have always been these contested notions uh, of freedom and uh, they have changed over time and they will continue to change over time. So the struggle to define its meaning, you say in your book, is a political contest. So let's look at some of the key political contests here. Uh, let's start with the current Republican conception of freedom, which is individual freedom from government control, resisting the government when it wants to take away your personal freedom. The government tells you you have to wear a mask or get a vaccination. The government threatens to take away your assault weapons. The government wants to control your medical care. We associate these ideas in recent past with the Reagan revolution, which of course won the White House in 1980 with a very distinctive version of freedom. What, what is its history, the, this concept of the state as the enemy of freedom? Well, this goes back all the way to um, the revolutionary era when uh, Americans uh, in large numbers rose up against what they considered to be a oppressive uh, British regime, a British government. You know, the Bill of Rights uh, were, were added to the Constitution, 1791, uh, in order to restrain the federal government from interfering in our individual freedoms. One way of looking at this might be to go back to Sir Isaiah Berlin, not an uh, important figure in American political history, but he famously 
distinguish between negative freedom and positive freedom. Negative freedom is what you described, the notion of get the government off my back, that uh, freedom is the ability and the right to pretty much do whatever you want without, not only government shouldn't restrain you, but other people shouldn't restrain you either. Yes, Reagan, of course, articulated this very strongly coming after the 1960s, which had elevated other definitions of freedom. This is one definition of freedom. It is not the definition. It is not the only definition, but it has been very powerful in American life. You can trace it all the way back to John Winthrop, the Puritan leader and a famous uh, sermon he gave in the 1630s in colonial Massachusetts, in which he, he distinguished between natural freedom and Christian freedom. Natural freedom is what we've just been talking about. Do whatever you want with no restraint. But for him, natural, that's nature. In other words, that's not even how human beings should operate. It's like uh, animals just pursuing their, you know, trying to get food or something like that. Uh, that's not freedom at all. That's really slavery to your own wants, your own desires, the inability to put any restraint on yourself. Whereas Christian freedom was voluntarily following a moral code. And uh, in other words, the restraint is, should come from within. And that idea has also been very prevalent in many parts of American history, that really it's the ability to restrain yourself, which is the essence of freedom. And then there's, what should we call it? The Democrats' idea of freedom. It was articulated best most recently by Democratic Representative Eric Swalwell from the Bay Area of California, who published a memorable tweet recently that read, what's the Democrats' message? Simple. We are the party of freedom. Freedom to make your own health care choices. Freedom from your fear of gun violence. Freedom to have your vote counted. Freedom for all. Where does that come from? That's good. If I may digress for one minute, uh, back when Hillary Clinton was running for president, some of my former students were writing speeches for her, and they came to see me one day in my office, and we discussed what should Hillary say. And I said, my idea is that she should make a public you know, effort to reappropriate the idea of freedom, to take it from the conservatives, from the Republicans, and say, no, Democrats have this idea of freedom. Uh, which is not just do your own thing. It's, uh, it goes back to the New Deal. It, it's based on per security, personal security, economic security. Roosevelt said in the 1930s, the necessitous person, that is the poor person, is not really free. Because you can talk about freedom as choice, but if you have no economic resources, you can't make any real choices. And uh, you don't have the ability to do that. So the democratic idea of freedom, and I hope that Biden sticks with this because to me it's a very effective argument, is that that freedom is the ability to take part in public life, the ability to have freedom from want, Roosevelt said, one of the four freedoms of World War II. If we help people get out of dire economic circumstances, we are actually increasing their freedom by a large amount. So then of course that goes back way before the New Deal, it goes back to the 19th century, to the labor movement, to the populists. Many uh, radical groups in American history have emphasized this notion of freedom from want as the real freedom. 
And you mentioned very briefly that the 60s had a distinctive conception of freedom. Uh, freedom now was the was the cry. And this is, of course, a mass movement in the streets. The strange thing about this is it ended up greatly expanding our laws about freedom, both in Supreme Court decisions and and in congressional laws. How how did that happen? Well, it's true. The 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 60s, I think, did transform Americans' ideas about freedom. Uh, do your own thing. You know, in a certain sense, there's a kind of funny overlap between the 60s social movements, particularly the student movements of don't listen to outside restraints. And then in the 70s and then 80s with Reagan, again, the idea of freedom being action without outside uh, pressure, outside restraint. What was new about freedom in the 1960s was that it was pushed into personal life, into private life. Freedom originally was either an economic concept or a political concept, the ability to vote, the ability to take part in government, but now it's personal. Control over your own self, control over your own body through uh, women's ability to terminate the pregnancies. The notion of freedom as a public good gets associated also with freedom as a private personal possession. And that doesn't bode well for social movements, actually, because it's a totally personal thing. But that's then picked up by uh, Reagan. You know, the place, the site of freedom is the marketplace, the economic marketplace. That's where real choice exists. You can go to McDonald's or Burger King. That's freedom. (laughs) So that this notion of personal choice as freedom gets pushed into consumer society where freedom is just buying whatever you feel you can you, you want to acquire. So Biden will campaign, it seems now anyway, arguing that the Republicans want to take away your freedom. They want to take away the freedom for women to control their own health care decisions. They want to take away the freedom to vote through restrictive uh, laws and gerrymandering. They want to take away your freedom to live without fear of being denied medical care by cutting back who's eligible. And, of course, freedom to join a union and fight for higher wages. Am I leaving anything out here? Many Americans seem to be uh, have concluded that another key element of freedom is the ability to own a weapon, to <laughs> own a gun. Yes. And the Second Amendment is the essential definition of freedom. Everybody should be packing heat, and that would make us a truly free society. And anyone who wants to restrict in any way ownership of guns, the use of guns, is, um, is an enemy of freedom. Uh, it would be interesting to know exactly when that became so central to right-wing ideology in this country. Uh, Reagan didn't talk much about gun ownership, to my recollection. But today, of course, it's everywhere, and every single mass shooting that takes place does not seem to have any effect on this notion that owning a gun is central to Americans' uh, ideas of freedom. So um, we have a lot of ideas of freedom uh, floating out there. And in a way, the 2024 election will be a clash of different visions of freedom. Just as, for example, the 1964 presidential election 
In his book, uh, The Making of the President, 1964, the journalist Theodore White, uh, who covered the whole campaign, um, said that what was going on in the presidential election was a battle between two ideals of freedom. One was the civil rights movement, with its cry, you know, freedom now and its freedom rides and its freedom songs. The, the civil rights movement took the idea of freedom, which had been pretty much a Cold War shibboleth in the 1950s. And, uh, you know, we were the free world and anyone on our side out there was part of the free world. It could have been South Africa. It could be anybody, any dictatorship. The civil rights movement tr totally transformed the idea of freedom into something much broader when Martin Luther King ended his great speech at the Lincoln Memorial, free at last, free at last, he wasn't talking about owning a gun. He wasn't talking about paying low taxes or not having regulation of what you do. He was talking about freedom as a total transformation of black people's lives. And then on the other hand, in 64, you had the Goldwater movement, which was heightened this notion of freedom just being an individual possession uh, with no outside restraint whatsoever, which will lead eventually to Reagan and then up to whoever it is today, DeSantis. Isn't freedom in the title of DeSantis's book that he's flogging all over the country? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but uh, <laughs> perhaps I won't at all. But, uh, freedom is always a contested idea. We'll see which ideal of freedom most Americans find most appealing. Eric Foner, he wrote the book, The Story of American Freedom, newly relevant in this political year. Eric, thanks for talking with us today. Yes, good to talk to you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.